can now get even better acquainted with the show by listening to half-hour edits from some of the best episodes from GBA's first 100 episodes that are going out on Resonance FM. 7.30pm on Thursdays and 10pm on Fridays. So you can listen to them in London, in the South Bank area, by tuning in to 104.4 FM. Or you can go over to Resonance FM's website and you can listen live over there. They started going out last week, so this Thursday and Friday, we've got the second of the 13 episodes that I've put together for Resonance. So I grew up with these kind of with comedy sort of being the ultimate thing that tied my whole family together. It's interesting that as soon as you allow yourself to laugh at it, then you, you will. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Beck Hill. Hello, Beck. Hello. <laughs> so the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I remember you approached me about doing stand-up tragedy yeah. and stuff, but we did meet before that. Did I, we? I have a feeling we did after a gig or something. Like, like in, you know when you're in a circle of friends after yeah. something? Because I, I remember going, ah, and putting your face... To like the to, name and face and together. So bad faces and names. So um, we're, we're being joined. Yeah, I had a, I had a fear that this would happen. We're, we're recording in the Royal Festival Hall, and it's Good Friday, and so there's all the children around as well as all the people having their interesting arty meetings. So we're, yeah. we're in between the lift and the wall, and so we're kind of in the right wrong place for children room, who want to do a like... run run round the lift. They seem to be a bit obsessed with the lift because it's the singing lift. Have you been on this lift before? I haven't. Oh, no. you should go down on it. Uh, it's seems... my head on the glass oh. when I was leaning against it. Well, there you go. So it's a safety yeah. hazard. It's clean glass. <laughs> I can't remember meeting you before the actual gig where you came along. I, like, I know I emailed you to yeah. sort of book you. Well, maybe it was, I don't know. But anyway. We probably I heard think... of each other, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because I was, when I sort of was originally doing Stand Up Tragedy, I approached James Ross, who I know. Yes. He'd had you on his Fat Kitten night, I think. He gave me a bunch of comedians who he thought would be interested in the concept I, I on that that's right well. I did brilliant. she is yeah. I mean I've been so so blessed really with the the standard of the comedians I've got yeah. for stand-up tragedy so far last night I just did stand-up tragedy actually which is why my voice is husky sensual sensual yeah I, I feel weird if, if I say sensual about my own voice that's what Especially that's because you suggested I use that yeah earlier, exactly yeah. so it's like if I start going around saying I've got a sensual voice it sounds yeah. I'm, I'm promising too much I'm promising too much exactly <laughs> did stand up tragedy last night and it went really well actually we got such a big audience you came on like the night where we had the smallest audience but you were so game for it anyway and yeah. I, I really I admired that that was directly because you had me on no it wasn't it definitely wasn't it definitely wasn't I don't know why that was it was just like the luck of it like I think it's because it was like the wrong side of the Easter weekend or whatever and there were a lot of bank holidays around that time and Possibly, so people were away it definitely was because you had me no it wasn't it was, it was one or the other it wasn't because I've been to nights where you've been on and there have been lots of audience members so definitely isn't that and I, I'm a big fan of what you do I always feel bad when I'm booked for stuff and not many people show up I'm like oh dear 
Uh, one day I'll have a fan base. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's not your responsibility. Like, it's the responsibility of the promoters to a certain extent to get people there. And I guess I am a promoter nowadays. I used to be not a promoter and I used to go <laughs> along to gigs and be like, oh, there's no audience. I do a lot of music. So yeah. in the music world, if you don't bring people along, they kind of, first of all, you don't get paid. And secondly, yeah. they kind of won't ever book you again. Yeah. So uh, that was always frustrating. Whereas in the comedy world, I think it's a little bit different. I don't know, really. What that's I suppose like. it is. Because yeah. I've definitely found like booking people for stand-up tragedy because it's a variety night. Yeah, uh, it's been really interesting. Sort of comedians are used to a certain like comedians are used to a certain a, a different kind of treatment than musicians are, and they're both used to different kind of treatment than writers. Like all of the different like genres of creativity, I guess. Yeah. And, like used to, like writers are just so glad that you'd even talk to them. Like, they're they're yeah. like, you know, don't worry about paying me. We'll pay you. Like, practically. <laughs> Whereas, like, comedians tend to, and I'm generalising about a group, so of course this isn't true about any everybody, but comedians are, are much more used to, for a start, getting paid, which is reasonable. Who are you talking to? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, not that you guys don't put up with not getting paid quite often. In fact, mm. you know, nearly everybody that's done stand-up tragedy has not been paid or been paid a small amount because I have I've done my best to pay people. But I think comedians do those sort of gigs because they're, they're fun. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It's rare that you get a chance to do a fun one that's a bit different and with those ones you don't mind doing it free because it reminds you why you got into it in the first place well that's what I hope for I mean yeah. that's what I as a musician I always feel like that like I, I, I much prefer being booked for a night where my music fits yeah. than being booked for a night where there's like a heavy metal band after me uh, and like a, a funk band before me and it's like work. nobody cares yeah. about what I'm doing I did a gig recently that had a, a magician and I've performed with lots of different magicians and my partner was stage manager for a magician for a while as well so I'm used to working with or around magicians but this guy was more of a sort of entertainer I suppose is the best way to put it so working men's club kind of he was really good and incredibly professional but it was interesting just the way he was treating it it was just one of those kind of little alternative comedy night and we had a child performer on so like a kid had been doing a course and and kid was backstage and then he said I'm just going to go out and watch the show and he said no you can't go out there and the kid (laughs) said why not and he said you're going to break the fourth wall and the kid was like what what do you mean and he said don't you know what the fourth wall is you know the audience can't see you you know, before or after the show because it will ruin the illusion. And and I thought, it's so true when it comes to magic, when it comes to comedy, and especially in these types of rooms as well, when yeah. it's a much less schmick setup. you know, it's a bit more casual. Yeah, exactly. It's not the same. You can go out and watch the rest of the show. And in fact, when you're a comedian, you tend to want to watch the show because then if the MC talks to someone in the audience and they bring up something that you've got a joke about, a you come on. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's just really interesting going... Okay, right, so you're used to doing these types of gigs, and now that you're being taken out of that environment, you can see he was sort of a bit, why is no one respecting the the brilliance of theatre, and he just thought, well... It's become a very different place. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's he was really great, true. Though. He was really good, but it just was interesting. Well, that's, I mean, that, and that's definitely what I'm finding doing stand up tragedy. It's one of the things I kind of like about it in a way, as well, of, of like those kind of clashes of different ways of, of thinking about things. And actually, sometimes people really embrace the new, new, yeah. new approaches. So, the second question that I ask people is what do you do now? Right now, during the day, I work in customer services. It's a nice job. 
like it and then mainly stand up and some kids stuff I'm trying to move more into children's comedy because I'm finding it's given me a lot more freedom you don't have to have so much like when I write comedy especially when I'm writing a show um, more importantly is I feel like I have to say something if you're going to take people's attention for an hour I feel like they need to come out of there feeling not only entertained but like they've learned something or that they've invested that time wisely because they come away with something that they didn't have before okay. so I've always tried to have a, a strong moral or, or something in every show I've done to make them feel like they've you know, come on a journey with me yeah. and this year I kind of I didn't feel like I enough had happened to me recently for me to do that again okay. I'm kind of exhausted a few of the other things in previous shows yeah because so like the last show which I saw in Edinburgh 2012 was like facing your fears sort of show that's right yeah and that was you know that was definitely true you took I'm the still audience putting that great. practice as well it's good yeah. it's great it was, it, I mean it was really nice I liked it because I really identified with being afraid of the audience as well as uh, yeah. as well as craving them. It's a weird kind of, I guess, it's a performer's instinct, isn't it? We, we want to be seen, but we also don't want everyone to hate us. You know, we, yeah. want, we want to be loved, I guess. It's, it's, an, odd, it's an odd thing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. We're cursed with it. <laughs> yeah. And this year I didn't have anything, and I've been toying around with a kitchen idea with the comedian Tom Goodliffe, who I'm doing the show with remember this year and we said right well we should do this show and we started writing and it's it's nice not having to have so much context for everything you know we had a five minute spot last weekend and we we're trying to think of a set that we could do that wouldn't involve heaps of tech or anything so to write a new sketch and I just went I want to be a robot <laughs> and he went whoa and he was kind of going standing around other ideas and I, I just went no I want to be a robot we're going to do a robot sketch <laughs> kind of beat it out of me yeah, but, yeah. but you know it's, sometimes in stand up you can't always do that I'm just going I want to be a robot for five minutes there's no reason to it Yeah, I will be a robot yeah. and, um, and when you do children's comedy you're you're free to do that a bit more. Well, yeah, because they're, they're of the age where that is the way they think as well. Like, yeah. the older you get, the more, like, boxed in you, you, you can be. I mean, I, I work with kids. That's what I like about it, is, is, is that you can just be really random and really silly and, yeah. you know, play, basically, and they, they love it. Whereas, you know, when, when you're doing adult stuff, you have to, yeah, you, you're right, you, they expect more, but in a way they're expecting less as well because yeah. it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. It's funny that you say, like, writing for children is kind of liberating as well. I've recently found that myself because I wrote some sort of sketch bits for a children's podcast series uh, oh, yeah. called The Ministry of Stories, uh, based around The Ministry of Stories, which is a kind of writing workshop programme in Hackney. Eight to 11-year-olds made up stories, but in between there were sort of some sketch bits with the chief, played by Jenny Murray from Woman's Hour, and uh, a guy called Terry, who is a, used to be a stand-up comedian, actually, and now he's a writer and has a day job like the rest of us um, and it was really liberating writing those sketches because it was just like right I've just got to make silly things happen between yeah. you know Jenny Murray who's kind of a voice from my childhood so it was quite fun to give her silly things to do and it's funny as we're talking about children there's a lot of children walking around us <laughs> yeah that, I guess that's the thing um, looking at that child is making me think of this. When you're doing children's stuff, I mean, I guess you get more heckles in a weird way. Is that right? I mean, I've not had it myself, okay. but I'm very new to the scene, right. so I'm expecting it when yeah. it happens. Tom and I, because we do sketch stuff, it's a little bit 
even if they yell out anything, it's usually got something to do with the sketch, so you can kind of just continue or, you know, accept what they've said and say, you know, you're right, yeah. he is tall, or so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. go on with that. I've done solo stuff before, and I, I did one in Brighton earlier this year, and I had to ask the kids if they'd ever wanted a superpower. And, um, and just all at once they were yelling at the superpowers and I've never had so much difficulty hearing what the audience was saying because they were all yeah. you ask the same thing to adults and you know you might really have to maybe three people or yeah. something yeah and um, it wasn't so much heckling but it was the sort of thing that even after I took a couple of suggestions they were still yelling them out and it was trying to like calm them down and go okay we've got the suggestions we're done now I was in a show last year in Edinburgh with a friend called Matt Tremworth who uh is um, his comedy character for kids called Mr. Snotbottom and he does mainly stand up for kids as Mr. Snotbottom and I just had like two scenes or something where I came on and I was a giant piece of snot uh, who's his best friend and um I used to sit backstage and he would do his stand-up stuff to kids and he would sometimes get heckled but he'd get heckled with the weirdest things there was one time where he said um like I'm from Australia you know, can anyone tell me what you find in Australia and what he was waiting for someone said kangaroo so he can use that as a springboard into his next bit and more often than not that was the first or second guess that anyone said and he said can anyone tell me what's in Australia and one kid just went seven states and two territories <laughs> and, he, and we all sat there going counting on our fingers going oh, they're right <laughs> just amazing just yeah. The oddest type of heckles. He asked if anyone came to the show in a pram. And the kid said, yes, I did. And he said, oh, is it horse-powered? And they went, no, it's mum-powered. <laughs> I definitely find that working with, with the kids I work with. It's like the audience participation, if you like, is filterless. Mm. Whereas when, when I do stand-up tragedy or whatever... People are much more reserved in the when, when they respond to me, whereas kids, they just have no filter, so they will just say whatever is in their mind, which, is, yeah. which can be really funny. When I'm doing stuff with kids, their parents are there, though, as well, so that, that's always a weird kind of combination. I guess that's probably the case for, when you're doing comedy for kids as well. Like, I guess they're, they're brought along by their parents. Yeah. So you've got that kind of double register. Are you trying to make it funny for adults as well as the kids? Uh, there's a lot of jokes in the show that have that are completely innocent to the kids and will probably go straight over their heads but adults will pick up on some of the more double entendre style excellent and there's not loads but there is there's i think there's enough to make to make adults go oh that's a bit oh <laughs> the aim is to make it a show that people can come to and they don't need to have children Okay. But it's, so it's more a show that anyone can go to, but if you've got kids, they can come along. Nice. And they're going to enjoy it. In the past, I've had people bring their children to my solo shows because I use a flip chart, lots of drawings, and usually my posters are quite colourful. So quite often, and usually in Edinburgh as well, I tend to get quite early time slots just because it's Edinburgh and it's hard to get a good time slot. So quite often, even though I'll say, you know, 16 plus on the tickets or something, there'll always be one or two shows where they bring a child. The one you saw in Edinburgh is quite a scary bit with a clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there was an eight-year-old boy in the front row, and the whole time I was performing, I couldn't stop looking and thinking, what's he going to do when we get to that part? 
but I wasn't so much worried about the occasional swear words I had or the fact that a lot of the jokes about jobs or things would you know he wouldn't be able to relate to them yet I was more concerned about how that would go but then of course the clown came out and he just went wow and just loved it like it's kind of I went okay they're tougher than when you give them credit for sometimes kids definitely enjoy scary things like Mm. like some of the books that I read like the where the world things are or whatever is you know they're really scary and they really relate to that although you do sometimes just like with adults you will get kids that you're just who will get disturbed by stuff but I think fun. kids tend to get more scared at, at odd things yeah, exactly. that make sense rather than things that are supposed to be scary yeah that's right they're probably more going to get scared at someone you know doing something weird or suggesting they're going to do something weird to their parents yeah where you think, oh, this is going to be silly, and the kids are going to go, oh, you can't do that, that's silly. But yeah, but instead, like, they that's get my really mom. freaked out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Mr. Snotbottom show, you had a bit where you had like a farting competition where you had to like wear raspberries, and like one of the kids just lost it. And it was like, really? Yeah, no, well, wow. I, well, I but he's with... an odd looking man, and so I think they just kind of. Yeah, you know, well, I definitely have that experience. Like some kids get freaked out just by that, like, especially because I work with under five, so sometimes maybe they've never seen a beard before. <laughs> like, I know that sounds weird. But it's like they haven't seen a it's beard quite before. A friendly it's, it's beard. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like but they never. Matthew, they, what's his face from Sooty Beard? Yeah, but if they if they haven't really seen very many men with beards, like, if they're like <laughs> two year old, you know, like sometimes yeah. they can be really freaked out just by that. But I mean, like I, I do a lot of stuff with bubbles, right? And kids love bubbles. But I definitely mm. I had a child that was absolutely petrified of bubbles the other week. And like, I was so shocked by it because I'm so used to this being like, this is the ace up my sleeve. Yeah. As soon as I bring the bubbles out, I probably don't even have to do stories. I could just do like 30 minutes of bubbles and actually yeah. I just love it. But this kid was so freaked out. Like, their mum had to actually take them out of the room. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you never know what's going to scare children. But... You really don't. <laughs> well, and I guess, I think the thing is, I'd realised that what I needed to do, because I had people keep bringing kids to my shows... Went, all right, I'm going to have to write a show that they can bring their kids to that I'm not going to feel bad yeah. about their kids seeing. And so that's more what it is. It's more, I'm being a lot more silly. And so there's a lot of stuff that kids will get. But I'm really hoping, I've had a lot of fun writing. Like I genuinely have some proper laugh out moments. It's nice working with another person for once as well. Because we bounce off each other yeah. um, quite easily. So I'm hoping, yeah, I've got a good feeling about it. Interview me after Edinburgh and we'll see sure. what I'm saying then. Part of the reason I suggested doing this conversation mm. now is that you're kind of moving from being someone with a day job like myself to somebody that's going to take that, that scary leap and like do it like full time. Yeah. <laughs> Twice I've technically been a full time comedian in that I've either left my job because I hate it, like I might leave it and then go and do a festival and then just not go back to it afterwards yeah. or I might go to Australia or something so I'll be away for two months so I just quit the job before I go or there was one other time where I was fired by a text um, <laughs> and then found myself with other jobs so I went oh I must be a full time comedian now. I wasn't ready at those stages and I wasn't using the time to do what I needed to do to make myself go further I was just basically being a slacker like yeah. most other people are when they're unemployed and so I eventually had to get another job but this job has been incredibly supportive and lovely and one of those jobs that genuinely made me go, maybe I do want to spend the rest of my life in customer service. Okay. It's so comfortable and, yeah. and I really love the people that I work with. 
Um, and I can't imagine finding a better day job at, at an entry level. And I went to uni, so it gets a bit tricky because there was never anything that I specialised in other than really wanting to do stand-up. Right. But then I started to find I was getting booked for more and more gigs, especially ones outside of town, which would mean that I'd either have to leave early or take a day off. Yeah. I'd already taken time off for Edinburgh Fringe this year and then managed to get booked for some amazing festivals in May. I wasn't meant to be doing so much solo stuff this year, it was meant to be concentrating on the kids' show yeah. and my other projects with like Kamran and yeah, yeah, yeah. Iran and, um, uh, and YouTube videos and things like that. But the solo stuff just suddenly, people started booking me and asking me about gigs and I'm off to Latvia and Estonia and Finland next oh, yeah, week. Yeah, that's and, right, wow. Yeah, and, and I was having to turn down gigs as well. I know that Sod's Law, what will happen is I'll, I'm leaving in May, I've had my notice and I leave in May, I have a feeling that as soon as that happens, <laughs> everything will die and there'll be, you know, just tumbleweeds, I won't get asked to do anything. But fortunately, I've got so much that I'd like to concentrate on that I'm hoping I use that time, the, the dead time, quite wisely as well. With Pun Run, that's been kind of growing a lot and it's, it's the sort of thing where I'm aware that if I don't do what I can with it now, someone else could easily step in and do it and, yeah, and put more time into yeah. it and more effort and be more successful and I don't want that to happen. That's right, Pun Run, it's a night that you run, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to explain the premise? It's a pun-based comedy, <laughs> so comedians can only do their pun-based sets. It mainly came about because I really like puns, but they don't fit in with my normal stand-up, so whenever I try to fit them in, they would just get groans and, and you know, I'd lose the audience, essentially. I thought it was such a shame that I had all these jokes that I you know, could only put them on Twitter, there was nowhere else they could really go. So I started with a competition that I thought I'll MC it so I can do my puns in between each act and then comedians can do three minutes of puns and then we'll get judges and we'll do you know, whoever told the most puns, whoever had the best pun and all this sort of thing. And the response from comedians was overwhelming. I mean, I think we ended up having about 20 entrants in the end and I was having to turn people away after that. So it was a very long night yeah, and it sold out to two pounds of the draw or something, but it, it sold out. And after it, even though it had gone on so long, it was a bit chaotic because it was the first thing I'd probably run. The audience were coming up to me afterwards and the comedians were coming up to me afterwards going, oh, when's the next one? And I went, oh, I wasn't planning. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I booked another one and then and then just kind of went from there and then we moved to a bigger venue and now we're in an even bigger venue. You've heard it here first because I haven't officially announced it yet, but we're also going to be introducing... Uh, pun run pun size on the alternate months that we're not running at the big venue. Uh, it's going to be a smaller one for the newer comedians and the comic target scene. So that way if people want to do the main pun run but I've not seen them before or if they're quite new off the bat I can stick them on there and if they go well I can the other night. I guess it's kind of working because it's a guilty pleasure for like audiences and comedians alike. Again, it's like one of those things where adults are like, no, 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 we're, yeah. we're too sophisticated now to enjoy puns. Yeah. Whereas that's like the first kind of humour that you kind of get into, I think, when you're yeah, a kid. If I think absolutely. about like joke books and stuff when you're a kid, they're all pun Yeah, dad jokes and yeah. stuff, you know, it's all, it's all like that. But it's interesting that as soon as you allow yourself to laugh at it, yeah. Then you you will. But like, you need to know that you're you in a guess place as well. Because okay. there's so much of it going on that you know you you can't remain cynical for a whole night of puns. You know? Yeah, That's it's really funny because I get a lot of people either telling me puns or emailing me puns or tweeting me puns or putting fun puns on my Facebook 
and I do like them and occasionally there'll be one where I go okay that's awesome again because sometimes you just you need to be in the right mood and if you're not then I just find myself going oh just stop sending me like half the time I've seen them all anyway there was one that was doing the rounds on on Facebook which was he's a terrible pun it's just a piece of paper and tear off pun and each tear off bit has a pun on it and it's very funny but it, it got posted on my wall about 15 times or something but have you seen this yes yes I've so seen it already it's sort of becoming synonymous with puns yeah it's, it's your punishment at the same time <laughs> but at the same time I'm not complaining about that it's nice I'd like to be able to grow on that there's some very very good comedians out there who have some amazing puns who I'd like to try and get better known for what they do as well because I think if they can find their audience yeah. I mean you have got sort of your next Tim Vine your next Milton Jones I'd love to to help bring people to their attention and vice versa no, that's great I mean and that's the thing I think about what's going on now in terms of comedy or the internet and the way all these things are kind of combining is that it's a time when you can sort of find a niche and find the audience that likes that niche and bring them together you know that's that's part of the thinking behind Stand Up Tragedy it's part of the thinking behind lots of the nights that I'm kind of going out and seeing it's like people going here's something we can focus on and we can like really explore that idea like to its maximum mm. it sounds like completely losing my voice now but uh, it sounds like that's, that's, that's you know that's what you're doing for puns with that one of the things I've noticed or I enjoy about the stuff you do is, is you're very visual as well like I guess is that part of like where like your enjoyment of puns come from it's a lot of your like you do t-shirts so you're selling a lot of t-shirts and stuff and like you're, you, you sort of draw, a lot of your comedy is drawing based isn't mm. it so how did that all come together my mum's a really good artist she's not professional but she's, she's just an artist uh, cartoons or charcoal or anything she, she can do it she used to draw little cartoons and doodles and stuff on her shopping lists and they were really funny and so I when I, as I grew up I started to add to them so I'd add to her shopping list a little silly drawing and she thought they were great she was very supportive and encouraging of that and then when I'd been doing stand-up maybe for about six months or something I started to put my little cartoons online one of those very basic GeoCities type okay. website yeah like a really long time ago but I started to put those up every day or every couple of days and then eventually I thought I wonder if I could shift these into my stand-up and so I drew one of my cartoons on a big flip chart I thought I'll show them this and I'll, you know, I'll say the captions rather than writing them but it didn't feel right it felt like there was something missing and that's when I went okay I need to make something move on this so that it has a bit more sort of animation to it. So that was a, a bit more the Lazy Eye Man, who was a superhero with a lazy eye, who was a very good superhero, but his enemies always got distracted by his eye. It's really silly, but did this on stage and then made it so that their mouths moved when they were talking, so you knew which one was talking. It's like, kind of, it's like the kind of kids' books that I that I read, but for adults. Yeah. Little, little tabs and flaps and, and all of that Lots stuff. Lots of tabs it's involved. Really yeah. fun. Because I can't do voices either, I'm rubbish, so I, so I made these mouths move. So who was talking when I was talking <laughs> at the very end of the sketch Lazy Eye would get quite upset at the fact that his superhero was getting distracted by his eye and how rude that was and how you know he just wants to be seen as a superhero not for his his it's not even a disability but you know just yeah. being slightly not different not for his attributes yeah. and uh, exactly I think it's quite a powerful moment I have a little bit of a love for Lazy Eye I think he's <laughs> lovely but then of course afterwards he has his big moment his big speech and the, and the, the enemy apologises and then Lazy Eye Man's one eye just roams across halfway across his face on its own 
and I had to invent a way that I could push a tab where just one pupil would kind of move in the entire page. And it's really silly. It was when I was still doing comedy in Adelaide and no one was doing anything like that at the time and it just kind of became synonymous. So it's really interesting as well because you have to get like really, like you have a silly idea but then like you have, to, there's loads and loads of work that goes into like executing that silly yeah. idea. Like it's, that's what I kind of enjoy about the, the, the stuff that you do is like, it's like the commitment to making <laughs> that silly idea work. You really are focusing in, it's very elaborate, all of the, the, the tabs and stuff and I, like I, I'm, I'm sort of part of my mind is thinking how you know how is that working you're from australia yes why did you come to the uk because everyone in australia is so happy that they don't need comedy (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it's really hard to get paid to do it over there i think i was doing maybe one or two gigs a month and it is much harder to get stage time over there it's interesting because in australia what you do is you start comedy you go for maybe two years and then you write a solo show it's kind of a given and then you'll do your hour-long solo show in either the adelaide fringe or the melbourne comedy festival and then you kind of build on that whereas over here you could be going for 10 11 12 years before you eventually do your first hour long solo yeah. show and that's where you get people like Kevin Eldon and Greg uh, yeah. Davies getting you know best newcomer or things like that and you're just like but you've been around forever yeah. but it's because they really you know they can get the stage time to really work on their 10s their 20s their 30s and so over time they'll end up with you know, an amazing hour yeah. whereas I think in Australia you'll end up with a kind of okay hour but then after a month you've been doing an hours worth of comedy every day for 30 days and it's kind of very different styles that you get going on the way that you get stage time in Australia is you have to put on a show yeah. <laughs> and go hey everyone come and see my show yeah it's, it's, I guess it's, it's even though it's, it's quite a big country it's not massively populated is it is that right am I, yeah, am I just making no, up no 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 it's not it's not as <laughs> certainly not as popular as it's here and also your cities are further apart so it's it's tough to tour because it's more expensive right. you can't just hop on a train for an hour and be in another city it's about an 8 or 9 hour drive from Adelaide to Melbourne <laughs> and that's our closest city it's tricky with that whereas over here first of all it's it's darker much earlier over winter which means it's easier to kind of do comedy oh, yeah, I guess point. that's true yeah. it's colder so people want to be inside whereas in Australia generally the weather's quite nice so you'll go out and you might stand out on the streets and have a drink or have a picnic or yeah. go out you can enjoy the, spend a lot more you can time enjoy the weather yeah, which, yeah, is, exactly. which is pretty hard to do here whereas sometimes. here it's so cold everyone goes to the pub there's such a large pub culture here that yeah. isn't really present so I mean in Melbourne you go to a coffee you know, there's probably more coffee places than there are pubs than I, I'm generalising but I reckon yeah. that's probably true and then also over here it's quite miserable <laughs> the weather's horrible there's almost always issues going on well there is no, there's always issues going on politically or financially or I think people are like oh, you know what I could do with a laugh yeah and you just you, comedians have such a celebrity status over here they don't get that and you maybe get a couple but even so nothing like what they are here well also I mean there are a lot of like a, a lot of Australian comedians come to the UK or to America as well I guess mm. but because we, we share the same language and so like it's having an Australian accent makes you stand out a little bit more in the UK scene see someone only told me this recently I never even considered it because I hate the Australian accent I think <laughs> it's really horrible and I didn't realise how much I hated it until I moved here and started doing customer services on the phones and every now and then I get an Australian coming through and, 
and we're so nasal. I mean, I'm, I'm probably won't listen to this podcast because I can't <laughs> stand my voice. I'm from Adelaide. I slightly better pronounced there. Cause yeah, you've got quite. I would say you've got quite a, like a subtle Australian accent. You don't, you don't really hit like it's not Good. really really strong. <laughs> so, I can do it. I can. I can. If I'm especially if I'm around my grandparents on my dad's yeah. side, who are kind of more from the country, you can tell if I'm on the phone to my granddad because I'll be like, "Oh yeah, good day, granddad. How are you?" <laughs> like my voice goes up an octave. Everything goes up at the end. Yeah. See, I like the Australian accent. It's like, I don't understand it because a lot of I've only just found out that a lot of my friends go, yeah. "Oh no, it's a great accent." Like, are you serious? Yeah, I was, I was in like a sketch comedy group at university, and I, I mean, I've never been good at accents. I guess I'm like, like no, you said, you, you're not. But a couple of the, the guys in it just spent all their time like communicating in Australian accents. It was inherently a funny voice. They thought they were always like doing sketches with. with I have about two or three friends who always put on an Australian accent around me. When our flatmate first moved in with us, it was terrible, like bordering on racist. Like it was just a horrible accent. But I did find it quite funny because. It was so bad and he's been living with us for about two and a half years now or two years so he doesn't really do it anymore but when he first he couldn't stop doing it and he used to annoy him as well because he would kind of answer in this stupid accent and I've got another friend I work with who's actually really good at it so sometimes she'll start talking but it's weird because she's she's got otherwise quite a posh English accent so I um, get weirded out by that <laughs> I guess there's two questions that are like spinning around in my mind and then we went to ask first I guess I'll ask why comedy like how did that happen to you like was it what, did you get into it when you were a child or, or I don't know what the exact turning point was my mum well this my mum's English originally she moved over to Australia when she was 16 okay. but she you know we grew up in a house that loved Monty Python we loved the goodies Dave Allen Kenny Everett and things like that she yeah, grew up okay. with all this British surreal stuff yeah, yeah. so that really kind of stuck in at a really early age and also there's a lot of things um, especially in the goodies and I know that they're actually bigger in Australia than they were over here they're so silly that when when you're little that really appeals to you you know and I grew up going that was brilliant I wish I could do something yeah. like that and my dad's side of the family quite Aussie sort of country type but very intelligent very sharp and so whenever you have any sort of family reunion on that side you know when you're having dinner it's just constantly who can put down someone the best in the funniest way you okay. know, and shoot them down right. but it's all you know it's a proper banter yeah, yeah. Good stuff, it's really nice and so I grew up with these kind of with comedy sort of being the ultimate thing that tied my whole family together okay, um, the only time that we ever kind of sat down as a family was when we were watching either something like Monty Python or Jackie Chan films like the Hong Kong Jackie Chan okay. films because they're really funny yeah. there's some really oh, um, Jackie Chan's really funny yeah and a lot of his <clears throat> Cantonese stuff they're so it's because he, he's a big Buster Keaton fan so yeah. there's a lot of sort of physical comedy in there so that's kind of the only time that, you know, I remember our family being really happy was, you know, when it evolved around comedy and, and they, uh, I remember they took us to comedy at the zoo once when we were really young, my brother and I, and it was these stand-up comedians, and they were quite crass because they were just doing all... I was one of those kids that parents take their kids to see me at my show, like my parents went, oh, this should be nice, we'll take the kids, and then there was a swear and yeah. whatnot, and 
and uh, but anything that was really bad went over our heads and anything that we got we just kind of went oh that's a bit rude and you know excited <laughs> that we were allowed to come and see this I really wanted to be an actress but I'm, I, I can't act at all I'm a terrible actor and I didn't realise it until I was about in year 12 I think at high school okay. after you know spending my entire school years thinking yeah I'm going to be an actor I'm going to win an Oscar and that's how my life will go and then I remember watching a video back of a play I did and just going oh I'm terrible <laughs> I'm really bad but I loved being on stage so much and my drama teacher always cast me as the comic relief so I always had a main role but it was always a sort of more exaggerated version of myself I was never the lead female I never got to like do the romantic kiss scene yeah. with the lead guy I never got the lead apart from Little Shop of Horrors which is a kind of like okay it's nice to That's be Seymour it's a brilliant lead to be but it's not the romantic it's lead I wanted to be the dentist I got Seymour <laughs> which now I realise is a much better like a bigger part like more mm. emotionally complicated but you know not as yeah. cool as the dentist <laughs> <laughs> there was one where I ended up playing a rapist like a boy Whoa. okay um, actually twice I was cast as a boy and I went to a mixed school Okay. Um, like a co-ed school I was cast as a boy over the other boys one was a, like a teenage lad and it was this really horrible full on drama for Black Rock but okay. it was eventually turned into a film which I think had Heath Ledger or someone someone who ended up being a little bit famous but yeah it was really full on but I got to be this character because I think I was able to be like a, a lad like I could play that quite yeah. well whereas the other guys in our drama class were not lads at all yeah, um, okay. <laughs> and then uh, in another one we did a version of Cozzy which was turned into a film in Australia if you can watch Cozzy do it's kind okay. of like around the same era as The Castle and things like that okay. it's, it's sort of mixed drama and comedy and I played the lead mental patient who insisted on putting on the opera Cosmo Fan Tutti but he's a man so I played this lead mental patient man <laughs> yeah that's interesting I mean I, I, I can I think like it might be quite a good call for like to cast a, a woman as a kind of like a rapist character, like a, a girl as a rapist character in a school thing, because that kind of probably means it's an easier sort of easier to yeah, much easier to do the scenes and stuff like uh, much much less kind of uh, on the on the bone of that. Oh, that's a bad word to use, yeah. but like I can see that. But the 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 second one seems a little bit like harder to justify. <laughs> Well, I think I, it kind of didn't click until my um, year 12 drama teacher once asked if I'd ever thought of doing Cast Clowns, which is a like a nationwide comedy, stand-up comedy competition for teenagers in high school. Yeah. But I'd already missed the cut-off and it was my last year of high school. It sort of stuck in, in the back of my head and I thought, well, I do like stand-up. And I'd been... I'd been sneaking into our, our local stand-up um, since I was about 15. Okay. We had a stand-up. We've got a stand-up club in Adelaide called Rhino Room, which is kind of like the hub of all the, um, the comedy there. And I used to rock up in just my school uniform, but because the bar was technically in a separate room to the comedy, they wouldn't kick me out because oh, nice. legally they were all right. Yeah. Um, but I was easily the youngest person there, and they just kind of like let me. Well, that's cool. and there was such a such a good community and network around in Adelaide comedy it was never like oh here's this teenage girl you know let's there were a couple of comedians who used to pick on me but that wasn't until I probably was a bit older actually and it was kind of a safe place so I used to go there on Wednesday nights and watch 
watch stand-up. And yeah, so when I finished school, I, uh, I entered raw comedy, which is the adult version of Class Clowns. Got went really well. <laughs> and just kind of never looked back. Yeah, I've heard people say like, if you, if your first gig goes like well, you kind of curse then because you're like you're yeah. in. Uh, you're always chasing that good, that first, that first yeah. good gig, yeah, uh, and I know that feeling myself. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you were watching stand up without considering that as a as a thing for you to do. Like, is that an interesting sort of moment for? Yeah, I think I remember watching it and thinking this is for the this is for like the professional. I don't, I didn't know what it took to them take that step and stand yeah, up, well, I can and I just that. couldn't imagine myself being one of those people that, especially a lot of the stand-up I was watching at the time while I could appreciate it and laugh at it it was all sort of a lot of jokes about sort of drug culture or sex or things like that and I had no knowledge of those things sure. to, some would argue that I still don't to a certain degree <laughs> but I, I remember thinking oh I don't know enough about those things to do stand-up because I don't Quite yeah, I think that, those. And then when I, you know, eventually got into it, I went, "Oh, I can do something about things that I about get." Anything, yeah. yeah. I think that is a barrier for a lot of people in terms mm. of comedy. Like, there are so many different ways you can do comedy, and people get stuck into like that's what comedy is, and then that excludes people yeah. from that. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. That's one of the other things I like about the way that the comedy scene, I think, is going now, and and storytelling, and all sorts of things that are going on now, is is the idea that people can stand up and be themselves and actually yeah. be yourself or whatever that means whether it means doing puns completely or whether it means like bearing your soul like it, yeah. it's kind of it's, it's happening more and more that's kind of what people are, are doing which is exciting it means there's a lot more variety out there than I think than oh, yeah. I think there was uh, you know some years ago uh, when I first remember being aware of comedy which isn't that, that long ago I guess really but things do seem to be getting more more varied in comedy than yeah. Than I remember them being when I was younger. So you said like why you came to the UK, but what was it like initially? Like because I guess you would have built up a a sort of reputation in in, in Australia, and yeah. then you sort of have to start completely again. Maybe. Yeah, it was very much that. I just got into a stage in Australia where I was starting to get paid, and I naively thought I would move to the UK and just continue on my way. And so I, I moved over, lived in Edinburgh for the first year, working for the Good Bloom. And, okay. um, and also they had a comedy night at Edinburgh Uni, which uh, off the curb would supply to comedians. Who, and, you know, with comedians like Sarah Millican and um, Tony Lawrence and uh, Jared Christmas, you know, really quite yeah. high calibre comics and they would send these um, comedians up and um, it used to be that the uni would just have these two comedians the first one would introduce himself then introduce a break and then he would introduce the second act after the break and that was it and they realised that that format wasn't working they needed an MC so they paid me 50 quid a week just to go in and kind of warm up the crowd slightly and I totally took it for granted and I just and I fell into the role so easily and looking back I realised that that was a really lucky break and I just happened to know the right person who saw my show thought oh she can do this but now I realise you know it's not that easy you don't just fall into a regular emceeing spot on a weekly yeah. basis with really good comedians yeah that's, that and so a great the, opportunity to learn as well. Like oh, from, amazing! From, yeah, yeah. It, it was great. It was, it was a really great, great time. And then 
I was doing sort of open spots at, at the stand and stuff, but because it's such a big, big lineup of people who want to do the stand in Edinburgh and in Glasgow, I knew I wasn't going to get in there anytime soon. So I thought, right, if I want to start making more money from comedy, I have to move to London. Yeah. So I just thought, well, I'll go to London and then I'll get another regular and seeing spot every week, and that's 50 quid. <laughs> then I just need to do these others, and then, you know, that I can pay my rent. And then realise how wrong I was and how. There's so many people here who see comedy as a, a, a viable career that it's just saturated. And I remember I managed, I can't even remember how I found the gig, I think it was for a friend, and I ended up doing one of those sort of open mic nights in Piccadilly for five minutes, and, uh, and I was about 18th or something on the lineup, and I did my set. The MC was terrible as well. <laughs> I did my set, and then I went up. Uh, afterwards, the uh, the guy who's running it he said, "Oh yeah, that was good." And I said, "Oh, thank you." And do you know any other rooms I could I could do? I'm looking for sort of longer times. And, and he said, "Ah, oh, there's uh, there's one that's sort of down the road. Uh, they run every Friday. It's pay to play one though, so you need to pay five pounds. But you get five minutes. The crowd's quite good." And I just remember. There's, I very rarely get ideas about my station. I try not to brag, um, and I try to keep quiet, you know, sure, yeah. feet on the ground no matter what happens. But I remember it's the first time I had a diva moment where in my head, I never said it out loud, but in my head I kind of went, I've done two solo shows. Yeah. I've performed in Melbourne and Adelaide and, and Edinburgh Fringes. I've, yeah, I've, I've got two hours of, of solid material and you want me to pay five pounds to do five minutes. Paying to play is really harsh anyway. Oh, I just remember feeling so, um, both slightly offended, even though he had no idea and he was just trying to help out, which is why I never said anything out loud. I remember feeling, quite, feeling a bit offended and then I was really, really depressed because that was when it kind of hit that I was going to have to start from the beginning and yeah. I already had about three and a half years under my belt and so I was just having to go from doing the open mic nights again but you learn so much doing that as well and I realised that there was a lot of things that I'd been doing wrong or that I hadn't thought to change because I thought they were fine but I was just you know they were just quite mediocre jokes that needed yes. needed work and and it kind of forced me and to an extent I could probably do with starting again you know <laughs> I can never learn too well, much I mean I guess in a way when we're making stuff we're always starting again because every yeah. every every new project is like okay now like what what do I know now what what what, what can I tell people now mm. so you went straight from school to doing stand-up is that right yeah yeah because that's very brave but also that probably means that like a lot of stand-ups were like who's this kid <laughs> like, who, like, was that was that how you experienced it? Uh, I was living in Adelaide first, and as I said, it was the same incredibly lovely network. Yeah, so you already knew people. Um, there, so. Yeah, so they kind of they were really welcoming, and it was almost I felt almost like a little sister. Oh, this what happened? There's an amazing Australian comedian called Justin Hamilton who is incredible. I mean, he's I would say he's Australia's Louis C.K. Okay, he's not. Um, because they don't do things like HBO specials or things like that in Australia, yeah. he'll never be that well known as long as he stays there. And because Australia is, is such a beautiful country, he has no no want to leave. And I respect that a lot. But it is a case where I think if he 
gone on to other countries and performed the shows, he could be yeah. massive, but that's not what he wants. Yeah, yeah. Fair play. To give you an idea, he once wrote three hour-long solo shows to perform at one festival, which you could see each show on its own, and it was an amazing solo show of, of stand-up and storytelling. Or you could see all three in a row, and it created a three-hour-long oh, wow. epic tale. That's really clever. Um, but each show stood completely on its That's own. That's really clever. But... And, and the other thing is, if you saw maybe the first show and the last show, there would still be occasional callbacks to stuff from the first show. Okay, that, that's really cool. And just little things, but things you wouldn't get unless you'd seen the first yeah. one, so you kind of felt really included. And, uh, and he won the Director's Award for, uh, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival for that, because it was just... That sounds amazing. ...incredible. When you win the Director's Award, you can basically be produced and taken to Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe, and you turn it down, because you just... Doesn't want doesn't to make a career here. Yeah. He wants to, to stay in Australia. Anyway, he started off in Adelaide, and I remember seeing him when he was already quite successful, but still just doing the smaller clubs. And I saw him in Adelaide, and I emailed him up. I can't even remember how I got his email address. I think I'd been chatting to him afterwards, and I said I was vaguely interested in comedy. And I emailed him. I don't remember what I emailed. I think I just had a really nice set, and it was really just really nice. And and he really liked my little cartoons that I've been putting up online. Yeah. And then when I went to enter the competition, I emailed him and I said, I'm, I'm going to be entering this competition, do you have any tips? And so he gave me all these tips, you know, basically said, rehearse and practice holding something, because when you do hold the mic, if you rehearse without holding something, it will throw you when you realise that you uh, don't have both really hands free. Yeah. Things like, just really, you know, make sure that you're aware of where the mic stand is. And just simple things, but things you don't know if you've never been up on stage before. Yeah. And he just sent me all of these tips, and I just read them like a Bible, you know, and just took it to heart, and just rehearsed really hard. And so when I did my first gig, it was interesting because... I just assumed everyone had put in the same sort of level of... Amount of work, yeah. Yeah, but there was a lot of people who were just kind of like there because they're, Winging you know, out. Dave from the yeah. pub and yeah, all yeah. their mates saying he's hilarious. You're so funny, you should do something comedy. So they, there were quite a few acts who walked on, struggled with the mic, didn't know where to hold it, felt you could already see that they were weirded out because they could hear their own voice, so they'd hold it too far away so no one yeah. could hear them. Yeah. Um, and then they just had no jokes or no punchlines or... Um, would just ramble and then there were a couple of people who just blanked because they forgot what they were supposed to say and panicked and had to leave but it's such a nice room that they just got a lot of love from it because everyone was just yeah. happy that they managed to give it a go my first set was you know terrible I, I was, wouldn't do any of those jokes yeah. <laughs> now yeah. but but at least I was able to go on, grab the mic, know where to put the stand, know where to hold you the mic. You had stage presence and you had, like, yeah. stage craft, I guess. Those two things. Exactly. Which are the kind of key. And, um, and apparently, um, so I made it through that round, and apparently uh, Craig Egan, who runs all the comedy in Adelaide, emailed uh, Justin and said, oh, there's this new girl. There's not that many girls who are giving it a go in Adelaide either. Sure. Uh, so there's this new girl... And you'll, you'll get to see it when, you, when you're back in Adelaide because the finals are on during the Fringe. And then I did the, the Fringe finals and Justin was one of the judges and obviously wasn't biased or anything. I did the competition the first time and got to the state finals. The second time I got to the nationals. The first time in the state finals. So I didn't even win, but he was just a judge on that. Yeah. And he said he realised at that moment that the person that Craig had been talking about was the one that he'd been emailing tips to. Weird. And he was so impressed that I'd actually taken his advice to heart that he 
um, got me to support him on his Melbourne comedy oh, festival cool. shows. So I went to Melbourne and fired for him and did the opening five minutes for his show. That's really cool. Which was amazing. And I, I owe everything to him, basically. He was an incredible mentor. It's so important, I think, for creative people to have like somebody be like a mentor or yeah. like a, have an apprenticeship, almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I, I would lo- I like to think that if I ever get to a stage where I can make a living from it, that I could then turn to, you know, because there's quite a few people I still see on the uh, on the local mic circuit who I'd love to just go, how about you do five minutes for me? And, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, that's the sort of thing I always think. Like, it, the, my ambition is to get to a point where I can pay back some of the stuff that has been given to me by the people exactly. who came before, like yeah. the next next generation, if you like. It sounds like you, you put a hell of a lot of work into being a comedian, so you haven't really experienced much in terms of people being like like like. Because I know that like Josie Long, for example, she mm. started very young, and like she had a lot of people initially like going like, you know, you're 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 a child, you're a kid, yeah. you don't you don't you don't you don't get it. And then like now she's like one one people over, I guess, mm. over time. You were welcomed in a lot better, which is how it should be. I'm, I'm pleased yeah, to hear that. Yeah, I mean, there might have been people who were saying stuff behind my back. Yeah, you in never. Fact, I, I assume there probably was. Yeah. But there always is, but it's good if it's behind your back, you don't have to hear it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and the thing is, that, the funny thing is, I think anyone who did was probably the same people who were actually quite supportive to me. It was probably just a case of helping me out, but then going to others, oh, geez, she keeps doing stuff about, you know, yeah, well, when she was in school. Well, that's kind of, that's the way it should be, actually. I yeah. mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we, we all do that, really. We're, like, we're supporting somebody, but at the same time, we're like, you know, yeah, we notice things that annoy us about what they're doing, but, yeah. we, you know, don't, yeah. That's, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it is a good thing, because then if they're open to hear those things, you know, later on, or if you can wait to see them, they change that, and then you go, okay, you're capable of throwing away the stuff that's no longer working. Yeah, well, I think an important part of, like, being a mentor, like, as far as wherever I am, it's like seeing what you can change and what you can't change and like what's the right advice for them at that moment like where are they at and like helping them achieve that so it's been a pleasure getting better at the interview it's, 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 the hour has is, is flown by the last question I ask to people is do you have anything to plug? The first pun run at our bigger venue is on April 18 at the Phoenix in Cavendish Square near Oxford Circus. Okay. Uh, that's on at 7.30 doors, 8pm start. £3 tickets if you buy online. Excellent. Otherwise, £10 on the door. Okay, so I'll try and put this out, probably not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. Pond size starts May 18 on Saturday at the Camden Head in Camden. Excellent. You should totally, people listening, type back here into YouTube because there's loads of cool videos. <laughs> and, I mean... The, and also, like, what's your what's your website address? Uh, Beckhillcomedian.com. Which I, li- I like yours because it's like it's like Beach Hill. Like <laughs> yeah, look out for Beck and Tom. In yeah. It, it, and it's for any age. It's for any age, yeah. It is on really early. It's on at 11am. <laughs> My dream is that it becomes the hangover show this year, so the show that everyone who they're feeling a bit off trudges nice. uh, in because they need something a bit uplifting. Yeah, people feeling hangover in Edinburgh will include me because I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Take care. Bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app you can download 
for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>